0: Kyle's not a stranger to you. I don't need to stand up here and pray for him. You know him and all of that. But I know that he is struggling this morning, and I want to pray for him and ask the Holy Spirit to give him strength and give him clarity of mind this morning. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for Kyle's willingness to struggle with this uh, message this morning, and I pray that you would take away the nerves and uh, give him calmness and give him words to speak to us this morning. Open our hearts that so we might also hear what he has to say, what you are saying through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. Go through here real quick. I guess it's an interesting sign of the times. Caitlin and I were on Kelly Book last night trying to look up the value of our van, and we're going through the questions there, and it asked the year, make, model, and how full the tank was. So <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Well, it's nice to be here today. I believe what was placed on my heart while preparing for this message today is the heart with which we come before the Lord. There's various things I was wrestling with throughout the week, the leading in love, the love in which we show each other, and then eventually landing on the love in which we show him in our prayer, in our daily devotions, and in our reading of the word. I know for most of us, or for me at least, especially growing up in a church, reading the Bible and going to as many sermons as we do, sometimes we hear the same story so many times that we begin to, you don't want to say gloss over the top, but we don't dig into them anymore. We don't dig into the meanings. Noah's Ark, the Ten Commandments, all these different topics. But one of them is the Garden of Eden. If you stop and you think about the Garden of Eden real quick, what is going on there? Garden of Eden was a paradise. The Garden of Eden was a place where man walked with God daily. It was a place where sin entered the world, where man was first tempted, where man got the knowledge of good and evil through sinning. And though man did not eat of the tree of life, life is something that comes only from God. Man cannot give himself life. But when you think of that place, too, you think of the people that were within it. You think of Adam, meaning man, Eve, meaning life, the serpent that came, all the members of the first family. And the member that I would like to focus on first today is Cain. When you look at the life of Cain in Genesis chapter 4, which is where we'll be beginning today, usually we just read through it real quick. Cain killed Abel. Cain was removed. Then we go into Cain built a city, and then we go into his lineage. But when you focus on Cain, there's much more going on there. First off, after defiling the image of God, Cain received a mark of mercy before he was sent out. Away from his family. Cain was the first human to exist solely outside of the Garden of Eden, not knowing the paradise that Adam and Eve had. Cain was the first human to exist solely of flesh. Adam was made from the dust, and God breathed bless God to breathe the life into him. And Eve was fashioned from the rib of Adam, but Cain came from flesh. But when you look at Genesis chapter 4, you will see the birth of Cain, and then immediately you will go into the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. Why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. So let's look at that today. Start out by reading Genesis 4, verse 1. And we'll go 1 through 7. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time, That Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, it is true that Genesis 4 does not explicitly address why the offering did not please God. But if we go on further into the Bible and we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it states that by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts and through faith. Though he is dead, he still speaks. And in Hebrew eleven six, it states, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And when you read verse 7 in Genesis 4, it becomes apparent that it seems to be an issue of the heart. Especially when you read that Cain brought an offering, <clears throat> and Abel brought an offering of the first fruits. Now, there's a famous physicist named Alberto Baricelli, and he states that time is the most valuable non-renewable resource that man has. And we live in an age where the main thing that we sacrifice when we come to God is our time. and our reading. In our prayer, and our devotions, it's always a sacrifice of time, even coming to church. We're giving up multiple hours on a Sunday afternoon to be here. And when speaking on time and the reading of the word, I was actually found this in an odd place. I was on YouTube and I saw a thumbnail of Ed McMahon, Billy Graham, and Johnny Carson. So, of course, I had to click on it to see what that was. And... Uh, Billy Graham was on the Johnny Carson show in the 80s, and he was being interviewed. And they were talking about God and belief and all these different aspects. And then Johnny asked why sometimes the Bible is hard to read. And this was Billy Graham's answer. Every week, tens of thousands of people get the Wall Street Journal, Johnny. And they read it from cover to cover, especially the thick one that comes on a Sunday, And they'll get that Wall Street Journal and they'll read it and they'll have it read by Tuesday, Wednesday, if they're a slow reader, maybe Thursday or Friday. But did you know, Johnny, that that Wall Street Journal has more words in it than the entire New Testament? Yet it takes a Christian a month or two to get through the New Testament. We desire to read the Wall Street Journal, but we feel obligated to read the Bible. And the heart behind the two of those, obligation and desire, are different. Sometimes we start out our day with 20 minutes and reading a daily devotional, which is always good. Beginning your day in the presence of the Lord is something that we should all do. But sometimes we almost are proud of ourselves for doing this. We take Pride in the fact that we stopped our busy day and gave God 20 minutes and threw up a prayer before lunch. And we call this the intimate time that we come before him. That is how we sacrificed our time was to just do this in passing. And sometimes if we're being honest with ourselves as well, when we're done with our daily reading, we almost feel a sense of relief, almost as if we're glad that it's done. Now we can start our day since we got through the obligation of scripture and start doing what we wanted to do. What we're focusing on for the day. And yet, when we come before God, when we sacrifice our time, we must be mindful in all aspects of life, no matter what is going on, even in suffering, with the manner in which we approach Him. So turn with me, if you will, to Job chapter 33. The book of Job is one of my favorite books. I don't know why, it just resonates with me. And as you're reading it, you see a righteous man who begins to suffer immensely. Obviously, he's blessed with much. He loses his children, he loses his assets, loses the people that are with him. Then his friends show up, initially with the intent of helping him, but then they begin adding to his grief because they begin to accuse him for being the reason why he is suffering. And as you read it, you see the manner with which he approaches God begins to change. Initially, God is sovereign. And then he begins to wonder why this is happening. Then he starts justifying himself to God. And then he almost comes before God, demanding an answer. And as you get into chapter 32, all of a sudden a fourth friend appears named Elihu. And Elihu is angered. It specifically says this. And Elihu begins to address the three friends for not helping Job for not answering him, for not speaking about God correctly. And he begins to address Job for the manner in which he is coming before God in his prayers. So the first place we'll start is 33, and we're going to read verse 8 through 13. And this is Elihu quoting Job and speaking to him. Surely you have spoken in my hearing. And I have heard the sound of your words. I am pure without transgression. I am innocent and there is no guilt in me. Behold, he invents pretext against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Behold, let me tell you, you are not right in this. For God is greater than man. Why do you complain against him, that he does not give an account of all his doings? Then go to the next chapter, in 34, and we'll read verses 5 through 9. Again, Elihu is speaking. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my right. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression." What man is like Job, who drinks up derision like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity, and walks with the wicked men? For he has said, it profits a man nothing when he is pleased with God, or it profits a man nothing when he takes delight in God. Now we can understand Job's heart. We can understand going through suffering and approaching God, wanting to know why this is happening. And yet, one thing that stuck out to me as I was reading this this week was Elihu. Can you imagine seeing a brother suffering, going through everything that Job had gone through, losing his family, losing his assets, understandably upset, and yet still coming beside him and saying, Hey, brother, you need to be mindful of the way that you're coming before the Lord. And although that may seem kind of harsh, The truth is, he's probably doing that for for Job's benefit. Because it is wrong to come before the Lord like that, regardless of the circumstance. But the last place I'd like to read in Job is chapter 35. And we'll look at 9 through 16. Verse 9. Because of the multitude of oppression, they cry out. They cry for help because of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, where is God my maker? Who gives songs in the night. Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth. And makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens. There they cry out. But he does not answer. Because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not listen to an empty cry nor would the Almighty regard it. How much less when you say you do not behold, the case is before him, and you must wait for him. And now because he has not visited in his anger, nor has he acknowledged transgression well, so Job opens his mouth emptily. He multiplies his words without knowledge. Verse 13 Stuck out to me as we were talking about the sacrifice we make of time and coming before the Lord, making sure that we're doing it in desire to be in communion with him. As he says, surely God will not empty to, answer to an empty cry, nor will the Almighty regard it. But in verse 16, whenever you see that Job opens his mouth emptily, some of your translations may say vainly, that is the word hevel, the Hebrew word hevel. And you see that in the book of Ecclesiastes, when the, uh, when the author of Ecclesiastes states, Vanity of vanity, all is vanity, life is vanity. What that is, is that is a fleeting vapor or a wind that comes to pass. Think of it almost like smoke. Smoke is there, you can see it. It obviously has a source, and yet when you grab it, it's not there. It exists, but it has no substance. And that is the same word that Elihu is using to tell Job of what his words are meaning as they come out of him. He is speaking, but there is no substance behind them because of the manner of his heart. But as always, when we look at things within the word, we should always try to look at Christ and the example that he lived and his teachings. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. There are three things that Jesus addresses in Matthew 6. In the first 18 verses, he addresses giving of alms. He addresses prayer. And he addresses fasting. And in these, he's going to address the heart with which we do each one of them. We're only going to read the first 13 verses here. So it'll be the giving of alms and the heart of prayer. And then an instruction. But I do not find it to be a coincidence that before we read 9 through 13, before we read... instruction manual on how to pray, he speaks on the heart of which we come before him in prayer. So let's start with verse 1. Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, But they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the streets so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When reading through the commentary of John Wycliffe, an excerpt from what he talks about in this section is Although we are commanded to let our light shine, deeds of righteousness must not be done in order to be seen. Public prayer is not pronounced wrong. Jesus himself prayed publicly in Luke 10:21 through 22 But a vain display is. Private prayer is the finest training ground for public prayer. And in this we see Christ addressing the heart with which they're coming before him by stating that they have their reward by being seen. Because that is all that they were doing this for. It was not with a heart of worship. I know as I was going through this this week the manner in which we come before God is something that was really convicting me because if I'm being honest a lot of times I come more out of the side of obligation than I do a desire to learn and be led. Out of a desire to check it off start my day out the right way not out of a desire to be with the Lord and allow Him to lead me in it. So this was I don't know, very convicting this week, I guess you would say. But it's always interesting to me as we read the word, the way the different themes and lessons are weaved throughout and the different men and women within it. Cain, Elihu, Jesus, sinner, brother, Messiah. Yet in their three lives, the same lesson comes up, along with many others, but the one we focused on today, that if we are going to sacrifice our time, the heart with which we come before him, must be pure, and it must be with a desire to seek Him and to commune with Him. And as we go through this week, I pray that in our daily reading, our devotions, and our prayers, we come to Him with a desire to know Him, to show Him love, and a desire to be within His presence. Thank you. We'll pray real quick. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can commune with you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you continue to grow within us, that you continue to help us seek you in Scripture, to allow you to guide us, to teach us, to help us to lean on you, to lean on each other, Lord. I pray for us in the days ahead that we continue to, to seek your presence, that you continue to guide the elders, the search committee, and the board, and wisdom. I pray that you give us all the strength to persevere. Amen.